for tuning in to the Believer's Church of Johnson City podcast. We are grateful you've stopped by. Regardless of where you are in your faith journey, we hope today's teaching is both challenging and also encourages you to move closer to Jesus. You can subscribe to the podcast if you want weekly messages, leave a review about your experience, and if you wish to become a giving partner, you can do so by giving online at believerschurch.tv. And of course, we want to encourage you to come see us in person. We're located at 6110 Kingsport Highway in Johnson City, Tennessee. As always, we hope you enjoy today's message. Thank you guys for leading us in worship. And worship continues with the the word. A lot of times we think that we reduce worship to three or four worship songs on a Sunday morning, but worship is something that we express in so many different areas of our lives. Uh, Some of the most simple things that we do, uh, we express these things in our lives. There is a a Swahili proverb, an ancient Swahili proverb that says, unity is strength, division is weakness. Say that one more time. Unity is strength, division is weakness. The Apostle Paul said it this way in a letter to the church in Corinth. Now I encourage you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, agree with each other and do not split or be divided into rival groups. Instead, there's an alternative, instead be restored You know what this means in the Greek? It means be knit together so that you're literally all one piece of the same fabric. Be restored with the same mind and the same purpose. Wow. I believe that the greatest internal threat to the work and the purpose of the church is division. I believe that it's the greatest work. If, you, if, if you've been on Twitter and you've seen Twitter battles between theologians and Christian leaders, if you've been on Facebook, if you've been in any of these different areas and you've recognized some of these things, I feel like it's the, the ugliest thing that we produce today. And the second that you birth resentment in your heart toward someone else that's in the body, you are the problem. Or at least, at least part of the problem. So we're in the second part of a series titled Rethink Church. We are framing the most important themes of the church found in the book of Acts and encouraging people to give church another chance. For those of you in here at one time or another have given up on church, possibly for what you've considered to be very good reasons, we're asking you to rethink church. For those of you that are listening online, and I like to think of our online audience, uh, some people simply trying to be safe because they're fearful of this virus, but other people that are more cynical of church that are listening in, what I'm encouraging you to do is to give this concept, this idea, this foundational structure, this institution that we call church another chance by rethinking uh, some of these important 
things. So last week we discussed that church is a place of transformation, and today we want to discuss what it means for the church to be a place of unity. Transformation, we're often lacking. Unity, we're often lacking. Last week we identified this important theme. Church is not a building, an event, or a weekend experience, even though some of us really scramble together and get here early to try to make this Sunday thing work, the church is much more uh, than that. All right, the church is a body of people, and this is the key part today, working together to bring the kingdom of God to earth. This is not restricted by Shabbat or the Sabbath one day a week. This is not restricted by whenever you happen to be around or surrounded around Christian friends. This is not surrounded by homecomings or or luncheons or times that you get together and feel that you need to put on that particular face, working together. So our scripture today is going to pick up where we left off last time in the book of Acts, chapter 2, if you want to turn there. Otherwise, you're going to have the passage up here. Acts chapter 2, we're going to look at verses 42 through 47, and this is literally where we left off last week. So keep in mind, we finished mentioning that 3,000 people accepted the gospel, literally a megachurch of people, accepted the gospel of Jesus from the message that Peter shared at Pentecost, which is early in chapter 2. Today, we are going to look at what the early followers of Jesus did with this message. So the place that we left off last week was suggesting that Peter preached repentance and baptism. All of a sudden, the numbers start to flow in, and a lot of people accept Christ, but it does not stop there. And for a lot of churches, and the way that they profess or teach the gospel, a lot of times it stops there. I'm all about application. I'm all about what do we do with these teachings? What do we do with these lessons? I often say when someone accepts Christ, I do get really excited. When someone gets baptized, and we're going to have a baptism next Sunday, and I'm thrilled. I've not baptized someone in a long time, so I'm very, very excited about baptizing Jared. All right, so I get excited about those things, but as I've told you before, what I get more excited about is where is this individual in six months? What, is this individual, what does this individual's life look like through this walk six months down the road, meaning what is the church doing, what are we doing to teach this walk? and to show people how to live this new life. All right, so today what we're going to do is we're going to look at what the early followers did with this message. All right, so Acts chapter 2, we're going to look at verses 42 through 47, literally, like I said, just, just leaving off where we were last week. All right? So the believers, these individuals that have just accepted Christ, the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the community, to shared meals, and to their prayers. A sense of awe came over everyone. God performed many wonders and signs through the apostles. All the believers, listen to this, were united and shared everything. 
They would sell pieces of property and possessions and distribute those proceeds to everyone who needed them. Does that really look like the church today? Are we walking out the doors on Sunday, taking the shirt off our back, you know, seeing who needs uh, this shirt, seeing who needs our possessions? No, we're thinking about where we're going to eat for lunch. We've already got Monday on our mind. We're already criticizing the sermon in the car on Sunday on the ride home. All right, we're definitely not in a position in which we're living like these other, uh, these early believers. Every day they met together in the temple and ate in their homes. They shared food with gladness and simplicity. This simplicity part is really critical. They praised God and demonstrated God's goodness to everyone. Now, what happens as a result of this and what happened as a result of Peter's sermon? The Lord added daily to the community those who were being saved. So we're going to discuss several important themes, but an overarching goal is to show that all of these themes, everything that's going on in this moment is bound by unity. All right, it's bound by unity. The believers are bound together through collective worship. How are they worshiping? What are some of the things that they're actually doing in this passage? They are bound together through the message. Now, I don't know exactly what this message looked like. If this message was in a synagogue or in a temple, it could have been very, very formal and more formal than what you're experiencing today. If it moves on into one of these house churches, it could look like a discussion among people as they're breaking bread. So given a variety of different atmospheres and a different a lot of different ways of doing this the point is is that they are breaking out the scripture and the teaching and they're going by that similar to the way that we're doing today there is also prayer of course there is prayer prayer is what unites them more than anything there is a mill this mill is very significant because we often look at it as an early example of the eucharist or the lord's supper or communion, or whatever you want to call it. Of course, when we go to the first example of this, we look at Jesus in the upper room. But what these apostles are doing and what these early believers are doing is they are following the example of Jesus. Plus, you got to eat. All right, you just got to eat. Also, there is giving. All right, so these are the critical things that we see that are uh, binding these early followers of Jesus together. Now, we see the significance in being bound together, all right, in being bound together. In verse 47, as Luke writes, the Lord added daily to the community those who were being saved. And the reason that people were added daily to the community of people that were being saved was because they saw something that we talked about last week, and this is the kingdom of God brought to earth in a contagious way. So as people are looking, Jews and Gentiles are watching these young converts, these early believers, and doing these completely irrational things that they are doing, like giving all of their possessions away, sharing everything, loving one another, taking care of enemies, taking care of people that otherwise no one in society would accept. This was appealing. This was attractive. What they were seeing was something that they had never seen before. 
Most churches, if you look at most churches, including us, they are not adding to their numbers daily. And one of the reasons that we are not adding to our numbers daily is because we are not bound together as a unified body. So in addition to these 3,000 people that are saved under Peter's message, more and more and more people are accepting the message of Christ every single day. And this does not happen. This does not happen without unity in the body. So please understand this. It's never going to happen if we are going to argue over politics. This is never going to happen if we're going to argue over carpet color, which I think we said we established that last week. This is something that is never going to happen if we're going to argue over building usage or worship style or the way one person leads a particular ministry. If there is constantly severed brokenness, which I'll say again, I am convinced. All right, so people could say, what is the problem with the church? Why does the church appear to be so broken? Why does it seem so ugly and hateful and divisive and a place that, like I said, we, we, we can't even compete with what's going on in society? Why would I ever want to go to a place like that? Well, I can tell you this, the people that go there, they don't even like one another. Not only do they not like people who sin, different sins than what they sin, but they don't like the same people that are in the very church that they actually attend. So it's this constant complaining. Did you guys know, and I think you do, did you guys know that we have these things within our faith called denominations? Did you know that we have those? And did you know that while we try, some of us, to the best of our ability to unite with these other denominations, that these denominations primarily exist to tell us how we're different? And that within these denominations, there is, com there is constant complaining about this particular denomination because they're way too liberal. Or there is complaining about this particular denomination because they are way too conservative. Or there is complaining about this denomination because they don't read this particular passage the exact same way that we do. And we all believe that we have this monopoly on truth because of the way that we read a particular passage. And you want to know what somebody outside of church does? They look at this, they say, these people are crazy. These people are nuts. They can't even get, a, they, they are dividing over every single issue that you could possibly imagine. In the news media, they love this. Social media loves this. They light us on fire all of the time because of the ugliness and because of the divisiveness that exists within the people that are supposed to show the salt and the light to the world. How are we doing? You be the judge. You be the judge. You take into consideration what is right here, what is in your heart, how you feel about others around you, how threatened you are if someone within your faith believes slightly different, 
These are all things to consider. And I'm not saying that we don't stand up for truth. We definitely, 100%, every single moment that we have the opportunity, we stand up for truth. But this divisiveness just grows, and this is what the world is paying attention to. The world's not paying attention to, oh, they baptized four people last Sunday. Wonderful. They're paying attention to all the hate that they see. So how is the early church bound together? If our desire is to learn, if our desire is to see how it's supposed to be done, all right, if we are going to break these chains and we are going to make the decision to completely step away from division, which I am telling you is possible, it really, really is possible. There is a way to do it, but we have to learn from how the earliest followers of Jesus did this. All right, so how is the early church bound together? First, they are bound together in worship. All right, they are bound together in worship, which was something that we just mentioned. All right, so looking at verses 42, a little bit in 46 and 47, I want to share a passage with you that we just shared. Okay, the believers devoted themselves. All right, they completely devoted everything they were to the apostles' teaching to the community, to the people around them, not just a Sunday morning event, to the people around them, to their shared meals and their prayers. Every day they met together in the temple and ate in their homes. They praised God and demonstrated God's goodness to just the Jews. No. Just the other Christians. No. Just the Gentiles? No. Just those who appeared acceptable within society? No. To everyone. So we have a problem when we've reduced worship to three or four songs on a Sunday morning. Tyler and the band... They work very hard to prepare, but you want to know something? The message is also worship. Giving is also worship. And I'm not going to take anything away. In fact, I'm going to circle back here in just a minute and talk about the importance of corporate worship. But your life should be an act of worship. Your life should be 24-7 worship. Every, when you get out of bed and you are able to breathe a breath of life, whenever you are able to consider what God has done in your life and what God has pulled you away from, this is an act of worship. You should be worshiping in your car as you ride down the road. If you're listening to music at home, you should be worshiping in the shower, in the bathroom, as you're walking around clean. Everything that you do in your life should be a production of worship because what that is going to do is it's going to create the proper gratitude that you need within you. And there is nothing more powerful than we, when we practice worship together as a unified body. And one thing that I can promise you that we're missing that I think we really need to start preparing for is, is anticipation before we leave, or before we come in in the morning, whenever we're leaving our houses. So a lot of times what we do whenever we leave, uh, we're listening to the radio, we're arguing with our spouse because he was running late, or she was running late, or the kid was running late. Uh, we've got all of these things on our minds, 
all of these things that we're thinking about, but what if we made the commitment as individuals before we get together as a collective body? A car ride is a beautiful thing on the way to church. Father, prepare my heart for worship on this day. Whenever I start to see that countdown, make sure, Father, that I am already prayed up, that I already know where I'm supposed to be, that I am going to get my heart and get my mind as focused as absolutely possible so that whenever I come in the building, I'm already lit. I'm already on fire. And if there is a relationship that I am struggling with among the people in my church, I make the decision to make that relationship right. You see, it's the order. It's before we even get in the door. It's not necessarily how we do it when we're in here as much as it is how we prepare before we get in here. But because we have framed this as such a Sunday morning event or a weekend experience, we believe that all of the action starts whenever we go in that front door. And you guys know how it is. You're in the car and you're arguing with your spouse. You've had a bad day. You're running late. You didn't have time to stop by Starbucks. Or whatever that looks like, you're arguing. And as soon as you get to the front door with one of our greeters, well, good morning, brother. Good morning, sister. How are you? And then all of a sudden we turn on that face. We've all, been, we've all been guilty of that. And you know what you do? You stand there during the worship and you've got your arms crossed and that resentment is still there. And that anger is still there. And you think, as soon as this service is over, I'm going to tear into him again. Or I'm going to tear into her again. And we wonder. We have to wonder why we are in the situation that we're in. You see, when we argue among one another, we are telling people that the church is broken. When we tear one another down, a brother or sister in the body, we are telling the world that the church is broken. When we refuse to forgive someone else within the body or someone else in our lives, we are telling the world that the church is broken. This is literally what we're saying. Come be part of this broken, messed up thing that I just think is wonderful. You see, we don't recognize that we're telling people that because we've turned it into such a Sunday event. But when we worship together as a unified body, we are showing people the most undefiled thing in human history. Whenever we get together on Sunday mornings, now worship by yourself, praise God by yourself, live a life of gratitude. There was a pastor that told my wife and I one time, he said, you know, it's wonderful when you see people raising their hands in church and people are feeling wonderful and they're feeling the energy of the music and the spirit starts to flow. He said, but Matt, you want to know what true worship is? And this, this is a great pastor. And I'm like, no, please tell me, what is real worship? He said, there is a woman in our church who was diagnosed with cancer. She knew that she had six weeks left to live. And when she was told that she had that, she got down on her hands and her knees and she said, thank you, God, for this life that you have given me. That is worship. And until you find that level, and until, I hope I can get up, 
And until you find those depths and that strength and you understand what worship really looks like, you're in a place in which you continue to suffer. You know, and let me say this about worship when we are worshiping. It's okay to clap, guys. It's okay to raise your hand. It's okay to shout. It's okay to kneel. So please understand, as a pastor, from my perspective, if you need to express yourself by the way that you worship, please do not feel bound unless things get crazy, all right? Just kidding. But this is the question that I have for you, and I want you to think about some of these, because some of you are lost on this. Do you have a reason to worship? Do you really have a reason to worship? If you come in here and the only thing that you've done in the morning is scroll through Instagram, if you come in here in the morning and and, and Monday is already on your mind, if you come in here in the bitterness and the arguments and all the issues that are going on in your life, do you really have a reason to worship? Do you have a reason to celebrate? Can you relate to the enthusiasm that is expressed by these early followers when they worship together? All right, the second thing that I want you to notice that's of equal importance and really goes with the first is that they are bound together in giving. Okay, they are bound together in giving. And this one is really, really hard for us because we like our money and we like to hold on to our money. Listen, these are radical verses and they're also very controversial verses. And I'll tell you here in just a second why they're so controversial. Uh, Verses 44 and 45 All the believers were united and shared everything. And with the exception of spouses, they literally did share everything. They would sell pieces of property and possessions, and then they would invest it? No. Then they would check out the market to see how well they could do with it? No. They distribute the proceeds to everyone who needed them, which was primarily at that time other believers. You see, we are making this one separate because it is worship, but there is so much emphasis that is placed. So please understand giving is worship. When you hear the word, you're worshiping. When you are singing songs, you are worshiping. When we are practicing the Eucharist or the Lord's Supper, we are worshiping. But when you walk out with that check or that money or you give online, that is an act of worship. That is not, no amens there. That is not something that is separate. That is not a separate category, and it is expected of every single person that is called upon the name of Jesus. All right? So there are people that have read these verses, and I I think you may know where I'm I'm going when they suggest that people are sharing everything and distributing proceeds, proceeds, and they say, say, well, this sounds a lot like socialism. All right? This is not socialism. This is just the way that it was in the kingdom of God when you denounce everything. See, there is literally not even a you outside of Jesus. So when we are unified as a body, the way the church is supposed to be unified, we give and we live with an open hand at all times. Your money is not yours. Your possessions are not yours. No amens on that one either. Thank you, thank you, Dad. Give me some support here. All right. Give me some love here. All right. And do you want to know why this is so important in a pandemic? 
Do you know why this is so important when we take into consideration all of these, these messages that I'm getting from people, one, one from someone in our church just yesterday, why this is so important? Because addiction rates are rising. Suicides are rising. Mental illness is on the rise. Domestic abuse within the home is rising. Please hear this and please understand this. Regardless of where we are today, the early church cared about the orphan, the widow, and the stranger. The early church gave a voice to the poor and to the Gentile and to others on the margins of society. And they did so in a unified voice in a unified voice for people that were in need. When we give as a unified body, when we practice biblical stewardship as a unified body, there is no force in this world that can stop what's going to happen at Believer's Church. Now, the question is, are people willing to get over that hump? Are people willing to completely devote themselves to the calling of Christ in their lives? Please understand this is the 21st century and not the first century. We're not all moving in together, okay? We're not all sharing a meal in that way. We can't worship every single day together the way that they did, but that does not change the reality. And I'm saying this from the from the, from the bottom of my heart, all right? That's my dad right there. That's my father. My daughter's over there. But guess what, Cody? You're my family too. Elaine, you're my family. Debbie, you're my family. You guys, you're my family. And we're going to do it together or we can't do it at all. We are a unified body. We are together. And if you want to know what sin is, all these things that you want to point out that are horrible in society, you tear a brother or sister in this room down. Because that is what sin looks like. Popular sermon, popular sermon. Love this stuff. All right. Now, number three, all right? They are bound together, and this is so critical. They are bound together through authority. They are bound together through authority. And I think even more than giving, I think this is the one that we miss the most. I really do. There was a level of power that was given to the leadership of the early church that is rarely seen or practiced today. It's just rarely seen. If you ever read the book of Acts, it's weird. It's really weird. There are all of these radical healings there are all of these amazing things that are happening in the book of Acts. It's very, very different than the way that Luke wrote in his gospel. All right? And this is what the early church actually looked like. This is primarily because of unbelief and the fact that when we are given power, we often abuse it. See, this power is distributed through solidarity. This power is distributed through unity. Verse 43 says this, a sense of awe or phobos in Greek, a sense of awe came over them. God performed many wonders and signs through 
the apostles. All right, what this word means, when we say that awe came over them, it's like uh, fear or to take flight, okay? Think of it as like an ancient anxiety attack. Literally, that's what the word means. It means that you're so overcome. In other places, it's used like fear of God. It's, it's a situation in which so much fear can overcome a person because of the circumstances they're going through, what they've just seen. They don't even know what to do with it. It means, and we really don't like this in church, that something just happened that was entirely unexpected. So all of a sudden, in the midst of this unity, in the midst of this beauty, in the midst of all of these things that are happening, there is an authority, an authority that takes over within the unification of these believers. So the question that I have for you, how long has it been since you've been in a room full of people? It doesn't have to be a church. It can be anywhere. How long has it been since you've been in a room when you've experienced a sense of awe that was felt by everyone. My, my guess would be that, that for most of you, it would be never. I can be honest enough for me, for me and say, I have never been in a room where every single person in that room felt the experience of awe entirely unexpected. Something just happened that has transitioned everything. And this is what we see. This is exactly what we see happening. But we often do not see this because the 21st century church isn't unified enough or faithful enough to tap into this kind of power. We have found every reason to disagree with one another, to criticize one another, to talk about someone behind their backs, and to do these kinds of things. And this is what I want you to understand, and this is the most important thing. The only cap that is placed on what believers' church can do is the cap that we place on it. The only cap that is placed, oh, this is pretty far out in Boone's Creek. There's tons of churches in this area. And by the way, churches are declining. Matt, you got in the wrong field at the wrong time. This isn't a career, this is a calling. But what if we made the decision to surrender our egos... What if we made the decision to surrender our preferences and everything that we care about and consider important and say, I am going to lock arms with brothers and sisters for the cause of Christ? So, so, so how about this? How about this? You want people outside of the church to see something real. All right. I think you do. I think most of you do. I think for you, this is not just a Sunday social club. I get to see all my friends. Do you really want... Raise your hand for just a second if you would like to see uh, people see the church as a real thing. Anybody in here? All right. Okay. So most hands go up. Maybe all hands go up. Okay. How about this? Within this church, let's practice visible unity within this church. All right. M nothing else. Okay. Let's practice, as we go forward, visible unity within this church. So whenever we hear the word, if it's me or somebody else, visible unity. Whenever we break bread together, which is, and I'm not even talking about just the Eucharist or communion, I'm talking about meals that we share together, we practice unity. Man, whenever we're singing, which we're about to do, we've got another chance, we've got one more song today, all right? visible unity together. This is the way that we are going to go forward. Some junk's going to come up, all right? 
that, that, that human, that flesh part of us is definitely going to creep in. But what if we make the decision beyond all odds to practice visible unity with everyone that is in the body? So how do we do this? All right, how do we do this? And we're going to close. The first thing you need to consider is this. Practice peace toward every member of the body. You know what that might mean? It might mean that one of you needs to send a text message or some of you need to send a text message and offer an apology this afternoon. It might be that there is someone on this side of the church and someone on this side of the church and they're on the opposite sides of the church for a reason. And you need to make that, leave that gift at the altar and make things right. Open confession, the, the surrender of pride. This is the gospel making peace with brothers and sisters. It has to start there. You want people to visibly see something real in this church? We must be unified. Same purpose, same mind, same goals. Number two, refuse to participate in anything that will bring harm or discord to this body. Someone approaches Mark. Well, did you hear this about so-and-so? Did you hear this about so-and-so? I am sorry, but I cannot participate in that conversation. I love you, brother. I love you, sister. I am not going to participate in that conversation. Because I'm telling you, this authority thing, this power thing, this believer's church, just the cap blowing off. Listen, it's real. It's real. But we have to make peace. We have to make peace and we have to refuse to participate. But also, listen to this. Consider the positive and Christ-centered outcome of working together toward unity. I'm going to make you a promise. All right? I am going to make you a promise. If you will make the decision in your heart as a believer to live in a first-century unified way, not only is it going to turn your world completely upside down, it is going to radically change the culture of our church or any church, any church. Not us like we have all these problems. Any church, if you make the decision. So I want you to keep this thought in mind. Do I really want to change the perspective of how people see the church? Do I really want people to see the church as something different? Why can't that start at a small church in Boone's Creek? Why can't that kind of love and that kind of commitment and that kind of self-denial start with this church right here? Let's return to a verse that we started with as we close. Now I encourage you, this is Paul, 1 Corinthians 1.10. Now I encourage you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, not just for good measure, but in the name of the crucified Messiah, agree with each other and don't be divided into rival groups, Republicans, Democrats, Black White, poor, rich. She uses drugs. I've never touched one. We are one body. We are one in Christ. And this is the way that we must go forward. Instead, 
be restored, be knit together. We may not get along about everything, but listen, brother, listen, sister, we're cut from the same cloth. We're part of the same thing. We're part of this body. And I'm not going to make it ugly. And I'm asking that you pray to not make it ugly as well. So how do we do that? With the same mind, mind of Christ, with the same purpose, bring this community to the saving knowledge of Jesus so that our numbers increase daily. Unity. It's unity. It's getting along, putting the crap aside. All the little things. Masks. I'm so tired of talking about masks. That's just a side note. Unity within the body. And see what happens. Rethink church. Father, we come to you this morning. We lift you up. We praise you. God, I'm, I'm not good at this. I'm, I'm one of the most complaining, critical, controlling, difficult people on this planet sometimes. And God, my prayer is this. If we are centered around the resurrected Messiah, if we are centered around the victory that is in the cross, Father, help us to lay everything else down. Father, death was arrested so that our lives could begin. Unity, unity, unity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, unified Trinity, unity in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.